Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of season four of Canine Hoopers World, the podcast. Um, we've got another returner. We've got a few returners this season and we've got another returner. Um, Becky, how are you? Hiya, I'm okay, thank you. Cool, so... For people that don't know you, I mean, go back to like last season and you'll find Becky's episode where we were talking about agility and all that good stuff. We're going to talk a little bit more about agility today, but one thing we didn't cover on the last podcast, which I'm getting in right at the start, goats. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit (laughs) off-piste. Right, so Becky, who are you? What do you do for people that don't know you? Let's talk goats. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Standard. (laughs) Well, sorry, that's just completely thrown my train of thought. So for people that actually don't know you, you're a trainer, you're an agility judge and competitor. You you were on the green carpet with Yeah. Both dogs. Yeah, you were. There was there was a Collie and a Confolander. Confolander, nearly. Well done. Oh, 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 so close. So close. The concentration on my brain of like how do I say this? I know. Again? And I thought I'd just leave you to sweat it for a moment. I know you did. Thanks for that. Cheers. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so now you've said it properly and everyone can know what your dog actually is. Um, let's talk crafts first before we go into goats. But um, <laughs> how was crafts? Because I saw you briefly and went, hi, I'll see you. And then we never saw each other because that's what crafts does. Yeah, it's hectic, isn't it? So, yeah, it much. Um, no, it was really cool. Um it was not my first time there, but it was the first time for both of my dogs. So um, they were debuting, which was cool. Uh, Vibe was in Championship um, and Jaffy was in the Medium ABC, which is anything but colleagues. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was really good fun. Obviously, we had an absolute nightmare getting there because it was snowing. Oh, my God. So for people that don't know, I think I've touched it on one of the other episodes, but literally, like, driving two crafts, there was a blizzard. Like yep. a blizzard descended on Crofts and it was like Lapland. It was bizarre. Yeah. And we chose not to have a hotel the night before um, we were there Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, we're only like an hour and a half away. We'll drive in. Um, because Vibe doesn't really like being in hotels. He doesn't sleep as well. And then I find he's a bit frazzled. Um, mm-hmm. And quite frankly, Vibe needs all the headspace he can have because he's a bit of a doofus sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we chose to drive in thinking that'll be fine until like the motorways were all snarled up. There was like an accident just in front of us. Like it was chaos. Yeah. I barely got there in time. I got there like 10 minutes before we went into course walk and they pretty much were ready to scratch me from, from the running order. Oh, is coming in going, are you coming? I'm like, yes, I am on my way. Um, but it was a horrendous journey in. So uh, that was really stressful. I literally just arrived. Chucked on my sexy green t-shirt that we all had to wear, um, and went into course walk. So a bit mental. Yeah, that's that's not your kind of zen setup of yeah, definitely like doesn't. what you would normally do. I mean, yeah. I don't even like arriving at shows with that little time when it's just like a little hoopy show, let alone the champ crafts. Like that's crazy. Um, so I mean, the atmosphere in the main arena is something else it's so loud and it's buzzy and it's cool but also like 
how do you cope with that first of all like were you one of the ones I saw wearing headphones when you were course walking yes I quite often wear headphones it's not necessarily to drown out um uh like atmosphere to be honest you say it, it was really loud I I'm oblivious I don't hear it I don't notice it I often notice the um commentator I can hear the commentator when I'm running that's really annoying yeah um, especially if your dog does something wrong you're like shut up I know <laughs> yeah that's happened before um and I, I definitely could hear people shouting like oh Becky um on the home straight with Jeff where I heard people shouting my name that in so in that sense I can hear things but I don't really feel the big atmospheres I mean to be honest crafts is nothing compared to Olympia the Olympia atmosphere is absolutely mental so crafts is quite tame and quite I think it's quite controlled at Crufts. Everyone's a bit more polite and respectful. Because Olympia is, you know, they're not necessarily dog people, not not dog people. No, but no offense, there's a lot of horsey people that maybe yeah. aren't thinking, oh, that might freak the dogs out or whatever. So yeah. they're just cheering and shouting. Yeah. At Olympia, the dogs are there as entertainment. Whereas at Crufts, I think everyone respects the fact that the dogs are there to perform. Like we're all res- much more respectful of what the dogs are doing in the main ring. Yeah. Whereas at Olympia, we're just the entertainment. We're like the infill between all the show jumping classes and that sort of thing. So, um, and the commentators whip the crowd up. I was going to say, from years and years of going to Olympia, like that they do want the crowd involved in shouting and cheering. Yeah, yeah. For the horses as well. Like from being a horse girl, I'm like, is this helpful to the horses? But they don't get people to do that for like the big, the big money show jumping classes. You can hear no, a pin when the show jumping's on. The big yeah. important classes. Definitely yeah. quiet. Like they'll be encouraging you to cheer for the Shetland Grand National, but they won't be for the, the Grand Prix or the Puissance. Yeah. Um but yeah, for agility, it's actually quite difficult because um, you know, you're running the home straight, your dog's overtaking you, all you've got left is your verbals to say, go forwards without me. And the che- the cheering's so loud that often dogs don't hear. So it's one of the things that we all know to prep for before yeah. Olympia is driving down a long straight line without actually much support um so I was quite lucky actually at Olympia because I ran first in the final um which I always like to do much prefer to go first and let everyone chase me rather than worrying about what other people I like that that's a good way of thinking of it yeah yeah I don't like to watch what other people are doing um you know even if I'm running late I'd rather not know results I'm just like I'm just gonna go out there and do what I can do and yes if it's good enough then fine if it's not it's not yeah but um I ran first, and so actually they hadn't whipped the crowd up as much by that point. So Vibe could hear me down the home straight. I was like, go, 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 and he could hear me, um, mm. which was kind of a shame because in a way you want that buzz of the crowd. You love the crowd roar. It's quite special. Mm-hmm. But it did benefit me because <laughs> I yeah, couldn't yeah, run yeah, very well. Course, My knee yeah. was messed. Yeah. Um, but that's whereas... interesting, isn't it? Because I hadn't thought of it that way. But obviously, yeah, from, again, being at Olympia, like, the puissance, for people that aren't horsey, puissance is where there is a wall and the horse goes over the wall and then the wall gets higher and the horses jump the wall and it gets higher and higher. And like, it can end up being seven foot plus. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But you can hear a pin drop. Absolutely. When the think- horses are coming around. And That's once the horse has cleared the wall, then everyone loses their shit. But... Yeah. And you often see the horses react to that. A lot of the horses are not comfortable when the crowd suddenly rolls. Yeah. Um, you see the horses sort of reacting to that but yeah. it's not before they've performed. And I do think Crufts is much more like that. So yeah. I don't find the atmosphere as big at Crufts because people are much more respectful. They're watching it 
in a more respectful way, if that makes sense. You're watching it with more understanding for the sport. Yeah. And I mean, I I was very fortunate because I was working. I had one of those magic wristbands that got me everywhere I needed to be. But there were a couple. I know I I got to walk down the middle bit. I was like, oh, exciting. Because <laughs> there were a couple of times I went to go down and was like, oh, that's quite a big queue. Um, that's a queue. Wow. Um, but I managed to wiggle down and because it was just me, I could like sort of find an empty, a single seat and watch a bit yeah. and then get back to work again. But I I didn't manage to see any of Vibetron facing because the arena was so busy and everything because everyone was there to watch the champs. It was, yeah. whereas I did manage to see Jaffa's, um, one of Jaffa's runs, I didn't make both of them because I was almost technically meant to be working. Yeah. Shout out to the Pet Remedy people, thank you. Doing a little bit of work in between watching crafts. To be fair, I was going around there with little pet remedy wipes and goodie bags and handing them out to all the competitors. Oh. Like, here, have some pet remedy to calm your dog down. <laughs> I, was, oh, I needed that. I was like the pet remedy elf, like handing out these oh, like, to everyone. Um, how was it for the dogs it being their first time? So much as I expected, Jaffa took it one in the stride, just laps it up. Um, she's done Discover Dogs twice as well. She's never been to Olympia, but she's done Discover Dogs. And she just, she's such a chilled dog anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, as long as she's with me, she can take on the world. Um, so it was a little bit tricky because obviously it was super cold. So it was a bit worried about putting her back in the van in between her runs. Because yeah. on her first run, she fell. She slipped in the tunnel really right. badly. Um so she took ages to come out of the tunnel and then she came out quite slowly. That annoyed me because, again, I could hear the crowd and they laughed. Mm. Mid-run. And I'm thinking, it's not funny. My dog just fell over. And the commentator made a comment about, oh, I don't, don't know what she was doing in there. Like maybe she had a little rest or something. And I'm thinking, I am livid right now. And I'd have to still carry on running. And obviously part of my brain is going, is she okay? Like... Is she injured? She's yeah. come out running normally, but she's her pace is down. She's obviously taken a tumble. You know your dog, yeah. Yeah, and I knew that that you just know when you expect them to exit, and she didn't exit when she should have. Yeah. So we just had like I think we had like four, five, six more obstacles left, and then we were finished. So then I was really worried about her after her run. We did really long cool down, loads of massage. She had magnetic coat on. But I didn't want to put her back in the van to get cold because it was mm -hmm. snowing and to, to seize up. So mm -hmm. essentially we kept her out between her two runs and just kept her moving, kept her warm, walking around. But by her second run, she was knackered. So it was like, because she I, I need no her to rest. Downtime. Yeah. yeah, I need her to rest. So she had like a little like 15 minute power nap before she did the second run. But you could see like all her podium photos at the end. Her eyes are half closed. She was knackered. Mm. But... She didn't seize up and you know we were really careful warming her up for the second run i was like if she's not if she looks like she's not right if she's knocking poles if she's not comfortable she's come she's being scratched yeah she looked good she i knew she would i knew she'd want to work because she always does um so we did the second run um i was a little bit worried but she ran beautifully she gave me everything she had uh and then as soon as we were done i booked her straight in for a massage with my my massage therapist and um, we went and got her treated um she had some niggles she was sore um but we caught it early so hopefully um yeah. we managed to prevent anything else happening and also but um 
I think that I think I saw, I must have seen your second run. Yeah, um, because I would have remembered her falling. So I would have been like, it's not funny. No, it's not funny. Like, people don't know, you know, the public don't know why she's been in the tunnel too long. Well, the thing is, though, especially when you've got the commentator going, oh, look, she's had a little rest. You're thinking. Yeah. But equally, the commentator doesn't want to say, oh, she's had a fall, because then from the public, they're like, oh, my God, that's so awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it does happen. Unfortunately, even the best dogs will take slips and tumbles and just get things wrong occasionally. Yeah. Um, but they don't want to make a big deal of that because, you know, they occasionally want to promote it as a, you know, it's a safe sport. But I don't think any safe sport is 100% safe because we're asking our dogs to work, work fast through unnatural movements over over obstacles. But we can only do our best to make it as safe as possible. Yeah, of course. But yeah, she, she bless her, was, um, she was amazing for us. She just loved it. Uh, whereas Vibe did not enjoy it so much. Um, it wasn't bad. We didn't like the base of the like um, the comment commentary and the music in the main ring. So when we were in the collecting area, he could really hear like the vibrations and the bass booms, um, and he did not love that. He's a bit worried about noise. He worries about like we've got a lot of RAF jets around here, um, thunder, fireworks, all those sort of things. He okay. struggled. So I could see he was just about holding it together, but he was a bit anxious. Yeah. But luckily, he's the kind of dog that once you start working, everything is forgotten. He kind of goes, right, work mode, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was definitely harder for him, bless him. As well, towards the towards the end of the ABCs, um, I think there were some other dogs at the back warming up for... Flyball? Flyball? It's always the flyball dogs. They're loud. They were, and actually, I saw a couple of the ABC dogs that were running near the end because all of a sudden there was this noise from the flyball dog. I watched a few of them go, oh, 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 hang on, I'm not sure if this is okay now. And you could just see they sort of went down a gear, and I was like, oh no, like, can you not be quiet in the back, please? Yeah, flyball people. Stop your dogs barking. <laughs> why are they so barky warming up though? Like I understand why they're barking when they're running. I totally get that. But why do we need to be so hyped up before we've done anything? They just want them absolutely mental. They want the highest level of arousal possible for maximum explosive speed. So I need to get a flyball person on here to explain to me because I'll I'll be I, I I just don't understand why we're working the dogs at that arousal level. I don't get it. Like one so, of my students is a flyable person. Okay, th this is the shout out then. If anyone that does flyable wants to come onto podcast and explain the sport and go over it with me, then please drop me a message. Let me know because okay, cool. I don't. I get will it. tell my my students to get in touch because she's always explaining stuff to me. So I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And she'll talk about like technical terminology, like we do for hoopers and agility, technical yeah. terms. And I go, what? What's that? <laughs> what does that mean? So um, in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about like that higher level of arousal of libel dogs that then you can play some tech like um tactical stuff so sometimes when you've got them on the start line and they're really hyped the other team will do like stalling tactics and then the the opposite opposing team's dogs will often bubble over and almost like lose their edge because they've gone too over aroused um so there's a lot of tactical stuff that goes on of okay, we need right I will do a there podcast. There you go. There's another podcast. And find out about it because 
Yeah, it's it's one of those like, but again, after speaking, I spoke with um, Claire Staines in the last episode because she's now doing showing. And we were saying how if you haven't done a sport, you shouldn't be bashing a sport. Like you should understand things. And I have to say, since um obviously since we've last spoken, um, I did that um judging thing for the agility thing. Um, yeah. it was only steep chase, but First of all, I have a huge respect for all the agility judges that make safe, amazing courses, um, because that was really hard. I think I must have sent you about 50 Virginian courses and tweets. We did a bit of tinkering, didn't we? (laughs) But then actually, when it went on the ground, we had to lose a whole jump and I had to change a whole line because it just didn't fit in the space that I, it just. Course, Course designing and course building are two separate skills. Yes, I mean, I know this in hoopers, but it's easier in hoopers because it's Everything's little tweaks. Whereas, honestly, like, so with Steeplechase, I didn't have any of the big contact equipment. I'm so glad I did not because, like, I struggled enough just doing jumps and tunnels. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It was. It was really tricky, but really enjoyable. And I had... um Shout out to the team at Kaluki for inviting me, but also to everyone that helped because my ring party were amazing. Um, My scribes were really helpful with like, there were a couple of points I was like, oh, I'm not sure what that thing is. And they were like, it's this. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I did have, I did have adult supervision. And um, <laughs> my last, my last class um, of the day, it was a very long day. Like literally it was like sold out. There were no like, I think we started at nine and I want to say we finished at like six or something. Oh my God. There was only three. That's a long time. There was like 50. I think I judged like, I want to say it was definitely over a hundred runs and bearing in mind I'd never judged before. And I was like. The maximum a judge can do in a day is 450 runs. What is that number? That's stupid. No. Who made that number? (laughs) The KC. (laughs) No, excuse me, Kennel Club. This is a public service announcement. That is too many for the judge's brain. Like it is. Oh my so, god. Um, I think there's been proposals put in to reduce the number. Um, I think it should be. That's really unfair on everyone. I think 450 runs is. I mean, it is a hell of a lot. No matter which way you put it, is a lot. But it's not so bad if you've only maybe got two classes. Back in the day, you know, you you could easily have 200 dogs plus in one class. So. Yeah then at least you don't haven't got all the course changes and all the course walks. But now when we're having a lot more classes mm-hmm. with smaller numbers in, yes. you might actually only judge 250 dogs, but it takes just as long as judging 450 dogs because there's so many stop, start, like stop, yep. change the course, rewalk it, stop, change the course, rewalk it, change the height, rewalk it. Like it's it takes such a long time. That was one thing for me right. when it was like change the height. I was like, what? Because obviously we don't have that in here. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean we've got to change things? I just did this, and they were like, no, no, the jumps have got to go up. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But yeah, the last class I judged, um, blessing. One of the other judges did come in with me and give me a hand because I think he could see that my eyes were glazing and my brain was going, and. What? Yeah, it's hard. It's a really, really long day. It takes a lot of mental stamina to do that. Yeah, and my brain's not used to doing that much thinking. As well, like you, you can't, you have to still be as focused for the first dog as you are for the last dog. So 
you can't have those little mental lapses. Although I think most judges that you speak to will probably say they do, and you know you have to fight through them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I always struggle after lunch. So after yes. I eat, I feel like I'm a bit sleepier. So I'll always try and push through and have my lunch later in the day. Um, at the end of my judging, if I can. I do exactly the same. So yeah, because obviously it was just me and we knew it was a long day. I had to have lunch, and I was like. What do you mean I have to eat? I can do this without eating. They were like, no, Carrie, you need to eat. Like, yeah. it's fine. Please eat. Yeah. It's cool. But no, it, it was really fun. And I I would happily judge um, Steve Chase again. Um, maybe any size. I don't know. I any saw... size is basically a steeplechase. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but like... <laughs> <laughs> if you can do steeplechase, you can do any size, easy. And like so, like then I I look at obviously since we last spoke, I do look at like agility courses, and I love like looking at the different things. And like if ever I see one, I think, oh, that's cool. Like there was one um the other day. I'm trying to think who put it. I I want to say Nicole Turner. I'm sure it was. Okay. Um, I looked at it and I was like, I could convert that into a Hooper's course really easily. Okay. And because it was so lovely flowing, and I was like, oh, that's a nice course. I would like look at that and go, I might be able to steer around that course. That's cool. Perfect. Yeah. Fun fundamentally, they should be the same, I guess. Um, agility probably has more tight turns and twists and turns. But yeah, it's um, more the kind of like pushing around backsides of jumps and stuff. Obviously, yeah. we wouldn't have that in hoopers. Yeah. But in terms of like obstacle entry, yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. tunnels are completely different because Hooper's tunnels, it has to be straight. I guess Hooper's tunnels are like dog walks. They should be bloody straight going into them because yeah. we don't want dogs going into Hooper's tunnels at weird angles because they'll fall over. Yes. <laughs> because if they've been used to doing little agility tunnels and they've learned to bank and stuff and yeah. use the sides of the tunnels and then you send them into a Hooper's tunnel at a funny angle... Yeah. they're gonna fall so it's a yeah. safety thing um so yeah when I was kind of messing around and sort of doing things I was like right so a dog walks like a tunnel it has to be straight <laughs> yes perfect straight line on approach so oh, if like if I do decide that maybe judging is is a way forward um how like how's the best way to do it obviously going to competitions watching classes watching runs yeah so generally speaking I'd say um like just watch and observe to start with. Mm. Um, you know, if you see something happen in the ring, so um, you see like a little anomaly, maybe the dog clearly pulls away from a jump. I usually flick my eyes to the judge to see how the judge is reacting. Um, some judges are more experienced than others. Um, so make sure you've picked a, a, an experienced judge to watch because then you'll see like what how they are viewing it. And so if you think there was a fault, look at the judge, see if they're faulting. And if you're, you know, if you're always agreeing, you're like, yeah, I'd give that a refusal. Oh, yeah, the judge has given a refusal. It's a real confidence builder for you to know that you're recognising yes. um, the right things in the ring. Yeah. Uh, make sure you know the rules. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to judge weaves um, very well because they're quite a complicated thing to judge. Yeah. Like when it's a refusal, when is it just five? How many times should the dog be repeating them? Should they still repeat them or should they carry on? Um Contact calls are hard. So again, train your eye. Go and stand yeah. next to the dog walk in the ring and watch uh, and just see if you can see it because obviously the speed of some of the dogs uh, these days. So stand next to a champ ring and see if you can work out. Was it a hit? Was it not? 
yeah um, because you need to train your eye and then something I often suggest to people is if you train with a club or a group um ask to practice your judging when your friends are running mm -hmm. so just practice moving around the ring making sure you know a, you can pick out a safe path where you're not going to hinder the dog or the or the handler yeah um and and just practice getting your eye in making judging calls when there's no pressure yeah then go and get yourself on a judging course where you'll learn a bit more about the rules and regs um and and then get yourself a great mentor yeah they'd be my best recommendations um and a mentor that will not only guide you through design because actually design is something that they really just they just don't have enough time to teach you on the courses yeah it's a two -day course and um i know that they do try and cover a lot of courses and stuff but i mean i could talk for a week on course design and still not be done oh so. even in hoopers i look back at courses i designed four years ago and they're very different to the courses i design now absolutely yeah you know it's always evolving and it's always changing yeah. so um i think it's an incredibly hard thing because there's there's only finite amount of time you can do on a course um it's only so much advice you can give um and even then it's not necessarily to to listen to the advice and remember it all is one thing but then to physically put it into practice is an entirely different thing so a lot of people you know they're trying they think they've created these nice lines but actually just need some small tweaks yeah so having someone to cast their eye over that um is really useful so find someone that you trust, that's a judge that you respect, um, and and ask for that feedback, um, yeah. and maybe ask a couple of people. So um, I still do it, you know, when I design courses, I'll get someone else to just look at them and say, "What do you think?" Yeah. Um, because it's a confidence a confidence builder for for anyone at any level. I know most great judges still ask other people to double check. But that to me is the sign of a good judge for getting yeah. someone else to just go can you just double check this please like yeah. that's cool 100 percent. yeah oh it's, excuse um, the dogs <laughs> that's all right we've got a little a little crescendo going on in the background i'm loving that that's cool Puppy. puppy's awake ah. <laughs> oh yeah there's a puppy now yeah puppy. oh my god there is a delicious puppy so um what will i'm assuming that the puppy is is destined for agility that's the hope. Yeah, it's never a guarantee, but it's a hope. A little bit of hoopies to start with. Yeah, a little bit of hoopers. I'm going to put that into her foundations because I want to make sure she's not a Velcro dog. So, <laughs> well, you've got like legs for days. You can run. I know, but I've got knackered knees. So, you know, this is true. See, stand in the middle easy. and just point, I'll be happy. <laughs> so, with, um, yeah, so now you've, you've got puppy. I'm, I think, I mean, are more agility people putting hoopers into the foundation stuff with the younger dogs? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I I feel like they're still quite separate sports, but Missing I'm Missing a trick. Missing a trick. I know. I'm definitely observing that what people are teaching in hoopers is so valuable for agility. Um, there's a lot of my students now that I'm saying, like, go and learn hoopers because it will help your agility. Mm -hmm. to just give more obstacle independence, a little bit more obstacle value, um dogs not completely reliant on the handler taking them to every obstacle um so there's definitely an overlap for sure um yeah. so i want to get myself some hoops baseless obviously um 
So I want to get some hoops and add that into my foundations for not only my puppy, but the people that I'm teaching too. So yeah. um, that's that's the plan. Yeah, because I think as well, you know, I've, I see it with a lot of my guys that I teach hoopers to, but they also do agility and it helps the agility dogs. I mean, what um one of my clients, um she was doing both and now like she's gone back to just doing agility. But she said to me, you know, that doing that few months of hoopers really helped the dog's confidence with driving on and all the rest of it, because that's what we're teaching with is forward focus. It's driving a line and it's listening to cues. And equipment value. And you need equipment value because the hoops are so blooming skinny. And especially now we're starting to move over to baseless. It's interesting. Some of the dogs were being taught to look for the base bar, whereas oh, some okay. of the dogs weren't. So it seems to be more the smaller dogs. When you take the base bar away, they're like, huh? Because oh, okay. having to jump it. Yeah. Whereas the bigger dogs tend to look for the side profile and they're running. But that's where some of the bigger dogs are treading on base bars and slipping, which is yeah. why Dodge doesn't run on base hoops now because I don't trust his hips and his feet. Coordination, yeah. just, no, we're not yeah. doing that. Absolutely. But I do like, you know, for, for me, I can see it also the other side of the other end of the spectrum of dogs that are maybe starting to get a little bit older for agility, maybe shouldn't be jumping full height, maybe yeah. down to doing any size and sort of retiring off. Like Hoopers is a great alternative for some of the elder dogs as well. Absolutely. There's a lot of people doing that now that, you know, they've retired them from, from agility, especially the dogs that obviously are working, were working at champ because, you don't want to maintain the champ level agility beyond sort of their comfortable age yes. because it's physical. You yes. know, if, if they're if they're still um, running like one to threes at an older age, it's not quite so hard because they're not doing so much twisting and turning. Mm -hmm. um, you've still got the, the height of the jump to, to negotiate, of course, but it's not as physically challenging. Yeah. But champ dogs, um, we want to preserve their bodies. Um, we don't want them to be doing the hard technical stuff. Um, into their golden years so it's a really nice way of just winding down um, and I think I think if you've got um, a dog that loves to work which clearly if you've got a champ dog or most agility dogs I would think um, if they love to work to be able to give them something new to learn is really really valuable so um, it's just pushing their brains on a little bit and and giving them something a new project and I think as well, because with a lot of when I watch the champ, like a lot of the handlers do run with the dogs. And yeah, you're not keeping up necessarily with the big dogs, but you're trying to be there with them supporting. Whereas Hoopers, it's that skill of being back and letting your dog find a line and stay on it. Like, absolutely. And I find that's one thing in a way can be an advantage because Dodge has never done agility. He mm. knows that if there's a line, you find the line unless I steer you off of it. Yeah. Whereas dogs that have been taught backsides of obstacles and things like that, when you've got a really busy, especially a hoopers course that's very busy and yeah. almost looks like just a sea of hoops, okay, that's when some of those dogs are like, oh, do I need to turn right or left? And you're like, no, no, just take the obstacle in front of you. And they're like, but there's one just there that I could take as well. And you're like, no, 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 don't take that one. Yeah. Keep going in. So that's the difference I see in dogs that have only done hoopers and then dogs that have done agility before they yeah. tend to get caught on those junction traps more 
Yes. Whereas yeah. the desire to curl into the handler as well a lot of the time. Because so. we do a lot of literally four-way junctions where yeah. there is a hoop on each edge and the dog just has to proceed forward. Yeah. Sometimes if it's a more advanced course, I will put the first time they'll go straight and the second time they'll turn. Yes. I yeah. would not, until we start getting up to grade six and seven in hoopers, which we're not at in this country yet, then mm. I would start doing they turn in first, then push out second. Yeah. Because that's really hard for the dogs. It's essentially what we're showing our dogs in, again, the higher levels, grade six and seven, um, in agility. It's that obstacle discrimination. Yeah. So sometimes um, you drive forwards and you take the backside of a jump that's in front of a tunnel. And then the next time you take the tunnel. And then the next time you're taking the back of a jump again. And we do that in training, like little circuits where you've got multiple obstacles that they could choose. Mm -hmm. And it's just making sure they're listening to their verbals of this time it's the jump, this time it's the tunnel, this time it's the jump, and so on. And it's different skills on the jump, for example. Sometimes yeah. it's straight over the jump, then sometimes it's backside of the jump. Um, and just making sure that we're showing them options. Yeah. I might have to take a quick break because my puppy is now very awake. Right, that's cool. We'll let for an hour and a half. Okay, so um, Becky and Dinky are back, and now the puppy's awake. Now the puppy's being ferocious, and he's biting Becky. So if there's any little squeals, um, it's the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> it might be me, to be honest. Oh, no, that's what I meant. It was the puppy causing the squeal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> could be the puppy squealing, could be me squealing, but it's still basically the puppy. <laughs> We're blaming the puppy. So, um, goats. <laughs> goats, because we sound so you like goats. We're going to do it. Got to get there in the end. We've got to the goats. Um, for people that are listening, going, what? Um, Becky has goats. Why? Pygmy goats. <laughs> Just because I love them, mate. Goats are wicked. Like honestly, so when you got them, I was like, I think I pretty much messaged you and was like, tell me they're going to get to wear pajamas because they're like the coolest things ever. <laughs> um, no, because all proper goat people mock you if you put them in pajamas because they're like they've got a perfectly good coat they do not need to wear pajamas well i've got a german chef with a perfectly good coat and he's got about 10 coats so i'm just saying <laughs> if ever i get goats they're gonna have jammies okay maybe it when we breed from them i say when because that's the plan so when we have kids actual kids um then maybe the kids can wear goat uh, wear pajamas for a little while because can I just say that the when there are babies, I do expect an invite to come and squish little baby goats because they're like yeah, the they're only cute. they're the only kids I'm qualified for. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's the plan anyway. So I mean, apart from obviously the fact they're very cool, because when you first got, I just I remember you putting the post up and they were like all kind of in their little like their little shelter area, like oh. They were a bit shell-shocked. They were, they did. They looked, they looked a bit concerned with the world. Yeah. That's what it's like taking puppies away from their home, from their breeders. It's yeah. like their world turned upside down. And of course, at least with the puppies, we get them at sort of eight eight weeks, whereas the goats were eight months when, hang on, the puppies eating Jaffa's face. Don't eat Jaffa, little no puppy. Biting. Eat your mother's um, face, not Jaffa's face. No, please don't do that either. Um, no, the goats were eight months when we got them. So, of course, for eight months, they've only known one home, a big old oh. herd, flock, herd, herd of goats. I think it's herd. I think 
ahead. Gonna do a quick what Google, but anyway, let's carry goats. on not Google it quickly. I think it's a mayhem of goats. That's what I think it is. <laughs> what, like, like a cartel of chihuahuas? It's the same yeah, thing. absolutely. Group of goats, right? Here we go. Uh, is called collective noun is oh, flock. Oh, it is the flock. Flock herd tribe trip. A trip of oh, goats. That's quite funny. Tribe. I'm gonna go with tribe. I like that. Generally known as a herd, to be fair, but less common names are also a tribe, a trip, or a flock. Boom. The no. more you know, according to yeah. Google, it's a thing. The herd of goats, but I prefer tribe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do feel like, because one of the things, and I mean, we know goats love climbing stuff, but some of the enrichment stuff you've been putting in for them is so <laughs> cool. And I love watching the videos of when you put something new in the enclosure, because they're like jumping and stamping they're a bit sassy with each other aren't they yeah so one i probably made the mistake i wouldn't have done it if i'd got dogs i wouldn't have got siblings but we got two sisters um two sisters. okay that was and then a third one so obviously like goats you don't need to train in the same way you do dogs but you know but we know that in the dog world having siblings is a really bad idea um, because they tend to overbond, um, and these two girls, they they are obviously very close. They they're like thick as thieves, but unfortunately, that means that the third one, little Crumble, gets a lot of bullying. So they're really mean to her. They're like the mean girls. They are the mean girls. They wear pink on Wednesdays. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'll get them some pink PJs. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, get Crumble a little pink collar and put it on her on a Wednesday. Maybe they'll accept her. <laughs> Crumble, though, it's actually been crying a knife because Crumble is much more people orientated as a result. Because she's like, Hi, can you be my friend? Because they're being mean. Um, and I always try and like protect her a little bit if I'm in with them and they're being mean and headbutting her. And obviously, that's what goats do. So yes. It's hard because, you know, I see them headbutting her or headbutting each other, to be honest, because they do do it to each other. Um, but you see it and you think, Oh, it's so horrible. But it's actually a natural part of goat behaviour. It's in their behaviour repertoire. So um, it is difficult to watch. And sometimes they, you have to sort of let it slide because it's an important part of their social social needs. If mm -hmm. um, but sometimes they're just plain horrid and they're mean to her. So um, Dan and I have a deal that when we breed, doesn't matter what she has, girl or boy, we're keeping her baby. Her firstborn baby, we're keeping but we don't really want boys because boys, well, if you keep boys entire, obviously that's a massive problem with um, all the girls. especially With, with most species, with to be fair. Yeah, you wouldn't keep an entire boy with mum, just in case. Um, and also entire male goats stink. They really ah, stink. okay. And they have the most gross mating ritual. Oh, now um, you've got to share with the world. I'm sorry. Google it. Google it. Apparently, <laughs> we now have to. Oh, it's, it's really weird. Like they put their tongue out and they like flap their tongue and shake. The, it's. I can't even explain. When I first saw it, when I went to the breeders, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but I am. Oh, you can swear as much as you fucking like on my podcast, it isn't was, it? It was really quite creepy, and I just thought, "Oh my god!" Can you imagine a bloke coming up to you in the nightclub? 
flapping their tongue at you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, after being in a few nightclubs in Watford, I'm pretty sure I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Honestly, though, it's really weird and they make really weird noises. Um, and I was like, I don't ever want to own boys because they're creepy and they do smell. So, um, but a lot of um, people that keep boys, uh, you're you're so googling goat mating. I am. Um, it it's called it's called the oh the flemmation. Oh no, the flemmation response isn't too bad. So that's when they really lift up their top um top lip. So that's like um a, a way of scenting. Oh, horses do that as well. Yeah, when yeah. lift the top lip up and do thing. Okay, we're that's not doing that. Oh, yes. okay. No, I've just found a video of tongue thing. Okay. See what I mean? If you're driving, do not Google. <laughs> Wait till you get home and then Google because it's really funny, but also really creepy. <laughs> I mean, it, I can't unsee that. Thanks. No, it's really disturbing. Honest to God. So I don't want boys for this reason, but most people that keep boys are new to them. Obviously. Okay. Um, so they're, then they're known as weathers. So, but then they're a bit pointless. Aww. Boys. So I like the girls because we can breed from them and we can, um, you know, we, it, we will have more goats because we will just keep breeding girls and keeping girls. So Dan is resigned. Do to you the have fact. to milk the girls? No, not with pygmies. Oh, so okay. They don't really produce much milk at all. So they oh, produce okay. enough for their babies, but that's it. Okay. Basically, people go, oh, why do you keep goats? I'm like, I don't know. They're cute. Um, it's not a functional reason. Some people will keep other breeds of goats because, you know, you can milk them or. Well, I will mean, have you know that last year at, at the Chobham show, I, will, I partook in some handling of the goats in the showing and I had to handle a goat and she came third. Get you very well. You I had, I had, I was judging that day as well, and I had my proper straw judges hat on, and like Ooh. looked relatively smart because it was, you know, the country show, and yeah, yeah, I got roped into handling a goat, and everyone was like, "Only you could go to judge a dog show and handle a goat while you're there." Like you do, as you do. But apparently, I let the side down because I didn't have one of the smock things on. I just had my my judges hat, and I didn't yeah. have a proper showing smock on. Apparently that was not quite. Right. Here's another thing. Let's sidetrack again. Have you ever watched videos of people pig showing? <laughs> <laughs> My friend sent me a TikTok video. I'm not on TikTok, but if you look on TikTok, I don't know if it happens in the UK. I think this might have been like America. Okay. This is more disturbing than a male goat's mating ritual. So I'm just going to say the pig showing I saw in the UK... Because I did see a bit of it, but they had to have boards to stop yeah. the pigs from fighting. Yes. Because yeah. the pigs will have a tear up in the middle of the ring if you let them. Yeah, not surprising. Feisty beasts. Uh, this is why it wasn't you, it was like, you've got to get pigs. Who keeps telling me I've got to get pigs? I'm oh, like, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been me. I mean, no. pigs are kind of cool, and I've done some training with them, but I wouldn't suggest that's the best thing. But I think it's, uh, it was on TikTok, apparently. I think it might be an American thing, but the handler is supposedly meant to keep eye contact with the judge and they like hunch over their pigs with their boards and their sticks that they stare at the judge the whole time. It's the freakiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, just going to say again, a couple of little videos have come up that were from TikTok and yeah, they are kind of like... They're like creeping around like... 
<laughs> yeah. I can't I'm even find the appropriate word. But they're staring at the judge and it's really weird. They're not one of the up. one of the videos the highlight on the reel says, and then I stare. Which... <laughs> so weird. It's so weird. Oh my you know god, what? these are like the best that... sidebars of a podcast ever. They probably think that our dog showing rituals are weird. Like when the... I know that like non-agility people, when they first watch a course walk, they're like, What are you doing, you lunatic? Well, I'm just you gonna say waving her arms. Well, it looks like I want someone to put the Dam Busters music on in the background because it looks like everyone is walking around pretending to be aeroplanes. Just saying. <laughs> it is funny. And then when you see someone rehearsing their course walk outside the ring and they're just doing it like on the spot, I do this as well. It's part of my pre-run ritual of just rehearsing all my movements, but within like a one meter square space. That's even weirder. So I'm sure that the pig showing people laugh at us too. But I've never seen anything as weird as... But then this this goes back to the whole thing, isn't it? That if you don't do a sport, you can't really... You should be... You can't judge. No. But I have to say, because I used to show horses and you never had to maintain eye contact with the judge. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? It's so bizarre. So, so bizarre. I don't know. Maybe it's just a little ritual that is in certain countries that we don't do. I don't think of... Just, yeah, in certain counties, maybe. I don't... (laughs) I think it might be American. I mean, yeah, I've, we're we're just going to blame the Americans now. I'm yeah. right. If anyone's this in the show's pigs in, in America, if you're American, I'm sorry. You show to pigs, be fair, I'm I'm heading stateside in a couple of weeks, and we are going to we're going to a feed store place because I want to go to a proper feed store and look for boots and things. And apparently, at the feed store, you can get clothing, boots, feed, chickens, and gummy worms. I'm like, I want to go to this shop because I want to go and look at the chickens and buy some boots and get gummy worms. And so maybe I can ask the people in the shop why they stare when they're showing pigs. Maybe. And they might just look at you like, what are you talking about? I am going to say I am in the Midwest. So I wonder if maybe this is more of a regional thing. Maybe. I might be in the wrong area. I feel like. I'm going to, sorry, anyone, if this offends you, but I'm going to say it may be more of a Southern States thing. <laughs> You're really trying to find a line here. <laughs> How many people are you going to offend? Oh, I'm God. just, look, right, the image I'm getting and the accent I'm getting in my head is not uh, a Michigan accent, I'm just saying. Um, but I may be wrong, and that might be how you meant to show pigs in America. I don't remember the English people at, at the Chobham show trying to maintain eye contact with the judge i just remember everyone trying not to let the pigs eat the other pigs that seemed to be the i think that's a a good strong starting point yeah don't let your i mean it's a bit like dog showing isn't it like especially when uh, no offense to terriers but i'm picking on the terriers you're trying (laughs) to stop the terriers from eating the other terriers because let's face it they'll find it fun if they can yeah why not like you're trying to stop the other collies from eyeballing the other collies. Yeah, exactly. It's what they do. It's it's a whole vibe. Um, so are you planning on showing your goats at any point, or are they just going to be pets? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's it's not my bag. I can't. I I just don't have the patience to be like bathing. I don't even like bathing or brushing my dogs. So they're my group. 
I mean, I did get a compliment. I managed to get my my goat to stand quite still, and I did kind of lift her leg up and try and get it to stand a bit square. And the person that actually owned the goat that had too many goats to show themselves was like, "Thank you for standing her properly." I was like, "I was given a job, okay." I'm gonna show her to the best of my ability. Why? I was like, okay, I'm assuming this is like a crossover between horse showing and dog showing. So I'm going to try and get you to stand square and I'm going to try and hold your head up nicely. And very sweet little goat, actually. She's very Aww. sweet. My girl's a bit I feel really bad. Her. I've forgotten her name. That's really bad. The goat's name or the person's name? Oh, I have no idea who the people were. <laughs> I didn't find out any of the people's names. I just found out. And because I have my judge's badge on as well. So that was confusing everyone that I had a judge's badge on, but was handling an animal. Like. Okay, yeah. Extra confusing. But it did mean that the other judges were very polite to me because obviously I was a judge as well. So everyone was being very polite to the judges with my, with my straw judge's hat on looking fancy. Are you about to have to disappear from a puppy? Hang Becky's on. looking concerned. Pulling pieces of the carpet up. Bear with me. Would you like to interrupt the behaviour? Because I'm just going to say that um, uh, the puppy pulling the carpet up is probably not the it's best that. we could be doing. She jumped off the sofa. I've been watching her. You can probably see on the video. I've been watching her. She mooches around the lounge. She went to the door and I was like, ah, oh, see, I know she only had half a wee in the garden. So then I was like thinking, oh, she's going to have a wee by the door probably. <laughs> but then she came back. She's mooching around, checking out the toys jumped back up at the sofa for a minute and then went for a drink and I was like cool she's fine she's entertaining herself then she started pulling, <laughs> pulling up like fibers off the edge of the um carpet around the fireplace and I was like right we're not having that and she then was, you removed her from that area and she just bit you bit me mainly she bit my hoodie but unfortunately under my hoodie is skin Oh my god, how dare you put skin under that hoodie? How dare how I? You meant to like. But when you're this cute, unfortunately, you get away with that. But for the listeners, it, it, I shouldn't call her an it, sorry, it. Dinky is a very, very delicious red poodle. mini poodle. And she's just been to the groomers for a, a fresh poofings. So poofing. she's all poofed up and she does look very delicious. She is raging. She looks very really... ferocious and like she's had enough of our recording. It didn't help as well that me and Becky did have a proper chit chat before we actually started recording. Yeah, absolutely. It probably didn't help much. Um, so Becky, you've got some. You're you're going adventuring this year with teaching and judging and things. Where? What are you? So in August, I'm super busy. Uh, I am in Belgium to start with. I've got three days in Belgium, so I'm doing um full days teaching in Belgium on the Friday and then I judge Saturday Sunday Ooh. and then the following weekend I'm in Denmark to judge the Danish championships wow that so, is very cool congratulations that's huge yeah it should be really good fun so sadly I'm missing iconics in the UK I again agility by night I missed it last year because I came back from judging um IMCA in Italy and I had COVID so I missed um, Iconics last year. So uh, I'm now going to miss Iconics again this year. But it's a price I'm willing to pay to judge the Danish Championship. That's I mean, pretty cool. I was like, I can't miss that opportunity. I, I have to say, as as a flex, that that's a pretty impressive one, really. I'll take the hit. <laughs> like, yeah. So for people that don't know, Iconics um, do this really cool show in the summer, don't they, where basically it's nighttime agility. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to start because we can't work right through the night and because of how Casey licensing works and stuff, it has to be done by midnight, basically. Okay. Um, but uh, they do, because Iconics run several shows through the year. Like we've got one literally tomorrow, starting tomorrow. Fighting. That's the puppy, sorry. Right, ow! Fighting my watch and my arm at the same time. Um, so Iconics do amazing shows all year round at different times of year. But the one in August, we do Agility by Night. So they have, they buy and hire in loads of massive floodlights. Um, and we run basically in the dark under floodlights, um, which is really weird, really cool. They have a big final that is, you know, last year it literally ran until like midnight. Well, wow. Last last. Um, so it's very weird. It's very cool. Everyone's like, everyone gets proper chilled about it, has has a drink. It's uh, like a bit of an agility party. Like yeah, it is. They, you know, they always have a, an amazing soundtrack. Ouch, she's biting my feet now. Jesus, ow. <laughs> get the toy. Get the toy. She's a horrible little creature. Um, right. See how long that lasts. Bite the toy. But mummy's feet get the better reaction. Um, Maybe. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, no, Iconics do amazing, amazing shows. Uh, Neil puts so much effort into making these shows the best in the UK. Um, mm. Really great surface, great venue, great equipment, uh, secured tunnels. It's my bugbear. So he always has um, anti-slip tunnels with loads of sandbags on so they don't move. Mm -hmm. um, so he puts so much effort into making it cool. Then we have great soundtracks so that he's always got music playing. So it just creates this incredible vibe at the show. And everyone's really chilled. He gets in loads of um, top quality judges, brings in lots of international judges as well. Um, kids. So we know we're going to get amazing courses. It's just super chilled. So that's why I'm a little bit annoyed that I'm missing I Iconics by Night. But it's for Denmark, so I'll do it. I mean, yeah, so when you're when you're given such a big judging appointment, it's not your first, like, international judging appointment, but that's a pretty big one, isn't it, when you're judging, like, yeah. in a country. Obviously, Imka was huge last year as well, so that was a really big honour to judge Imka. Um, but, you know, Danish Championships, I'll take, because I would like to do more international judging. Um, so it's a bit scary, as always, but... Are the, are the course stars a little bit different, or...? Not really. Like, they'll get my style, of course, so I won't change my course design. But um, I hope. Uh, I try to create nice flowing but technical courses anyway mm -hmm. um so i would imagine that's why i've been asked that the courses they see me producing for the uk will be what i will deliver abroad yeah. um obviously sometimes they can be slightly different in the sense that the ring sizes might be different i don't know mm -hmm. what ring sizes i'm working with but often internationally they'll have um like rectangular rings rather than square rings like we have yeah. um, a lot of our shows and that can change the the flavor of the course a little bit but mm -hmm. it's still fundamentally the same concepts like i just designed my same style of courses but whatever shape ring i get given do, so. you, do you find as a judge there's a few little things that you tend to put in your courses like yeah i definitely notice certain i have certain habits and quirks and i often you know it's the advantage to, to coming and training with someone that i often say to my students that this is a little thing of mine Mm -hmm. um i i notice i don't even consciously put it in but i notice that it's in quite a lot of my courses yeah um, and i think like i like um different ways of handling 
So it might be the same dog path, but I will always try to create something where there's multiple options for the handler. Yeah. For me, if it's if there's only one way of doing it, then it's just literally a game of how fast is your dog. But if it's a game of choosing the best option mm-hmm. for your dog and choosing the best option for you, then it can be a, a more of a game of like strategy as well, like knowing your dog and knowing their ability and knowing your ability. You can yeah. win or lose classes by making better or worse choices. So I try to always give choices if I can. Um, and I love technical discrim type skill tests as well I'll always have a lot of equipment in the ring so they really have to a bit like the hoopers they have to really hold their line yeah. set their line hold the line and trust the dog to do their job um because if they're vague or if they're overhandling underhandling dogs will be pinging off the front and center to take other stuff yeah so, um but I can't give away too many of my course design habits but anyone like for me if I knew that I was going to a final and I knew who was judging it I would be looking at their courses absolutely and training elements of them or going oh okay so they tend to have weave entries like this or they tend to have as you say obstacle discriminations that are like this and you're going to be able to see that so that to me is just being savvy and training for what you're going to be 100% like you'll almost always find somewhere where I've squeezed in a little thread wrap um or in neil ellis's words a uh, cheeky thread wrap uh, he loves to do the same okay. um <laughs> sometimes you don't have to thread wrap it you can run fast enough but i quite like squeezing the cheeky thread wrap um i like to test lots of different skills rather than just the same old same old yeah uh, but yeah i mean we've all done it and i i'm nerdy about course design so i love studying people's courses and and learning to recognize their design traits yeah um, because then, as you say, if you're tr- if you're running under them, you know what to prep for. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. I think if people looked at my courses, they'd probably see some trends and some habits. Yeah, but I think that's where, as well as as you become more confident as a judge, and you kind of get to know what you like, but also what we like judging. You know, because if some like if say you designed a course and said oh Carrie put that up like can you judge it for me like of course I could judge it but I might be like oh I would have probably have done that differently because just we would do things differently yeah it's what you like yeah like what you you, how you envisage a course running and also I think one of the things and I see this in hoopers and I'm I'm assuming that if this transfers over to agility as well but I can generally tell what size dog the judge handles. <laughs> yeah. And from that giggle, you're like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's normally, you know, it's not, maybe not so bad if it's a large dog handler designing for small dogs. Because I think you, you would usually say that small dogs can happily run bigger distances, looser lines. Yeah. Um, but it's very hard for big dogs to run tight lines and tight turns. Um, mm-hmm. So you can definitely tell the people that only run small dogs, but you don't necessarily see it the other way around. The only thing I would say is sometimes when you're running at advanced level, sometimes um, people that only run collies, for example, because collies will work out and away from us very well with good mm-hmm. training. 
but they will naturally find it easier to work out a way and hold a line. Mm-hmm. Whereas little dogs will find it much harder to stay out away and hold a line mm-hmm. because their stride is so much shorter. Yep. So they have to hold it for so much many more strides yep. before they can curl in. So I think sometimes when you get to certainly the more advanced level, just knowing how long a small dog will hold a line for before they finally go, no, nah, it's too much, I'm coming in, yep. is is different. Um, and maybe their commitment points might be slightly different. Um, the the tight turns on little dogs will find much um, need to tighter lines. From, I used to show jump a pony, and yeah. yeah, if it got to a jump off, I was like wicked. Because <laughs> the turns I could get on that pony compared to the big horses, yeah, it was literally like, well, you turning Jaffra or vibe or vibe. Yeah, it was like it's completely different because. I'm assuming Vibe's turning circle is a bit like Dodges and can be wide at times. A bit more like the Titanic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, you, yep, steering the QE2, yep. Exactly. Um, actually, actually, I often walk courses and I'll, I can walk a course for Jaffa and be like, oh, I'd love this for Vibe as well. And sometimes I walk this courses for Vibe and go, I could get Jaffa around this, but I can't get Vibe around this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always easier for me. And that's why I say I don't think you notice it so much if it's a large dog handler setting for smalls because I can easily let Jaffa turn wider. Mm-hmm. I just don't cue collection in the same way or I don't handle as much. And she will go big and wide if I want her to or she'll turn tight. Whereas Vibe will go big and wide, but he finds it much harder to go tight. So it's easy to run a small, and that's why I think it's easy to do smaller dogs on big dog courses rather than big dogs on small dog courses. Always harder that way around. So that's really interesting because talking to Jenny Gould the other day, obviously she has big shepherds doing obedience. Yes. She said the same thing. If she has an obedience kind of test where it's a lot tighter and there's more turns, it's harder. Yeah. Because she is, again, driving a boat, whereas... Also, if someone's used handling a large dog, you've got the same thing. If you've then got a small dog, they've got to get more strides in, more steps in. So actually using the whole arena for a small dog can be really blooming hard work. But then sticking to the middle of the arena for a large dog is the same problem. Yeah, yeah. So I I find it interesting that it does transfer through all these different sports that it's getting judges to kind of, see how the other dogs are going to run this course i honestly think my my teaching my judging uh improved so much when i started running vibe uh it was a real game changer because before i'd had abcs who even though i was running big dogs they weren't as fast and they could turn really well my flat coat was big she was enlarged but oh, she was small for a flat coat but she was still enlarged um but she turned beautifully she could turn on a dime um, so it was very hard for me to really grasp the the concept, I guess, and, and envisage where large, fast, powerful dogs might land if they don't turn perfectly. Yeah. I talk a lot these days about fantasy lines, and my dogs used to turn on fantasy lines. You know, the this is where a dog should land if they turn perfectly, but you can never guarantee that they will. Yeah. So I'm I really love the fact that I've run so many different breeds. So I've had my my ABCs. I had a point across Shepherd Star, my flat coat, my large powerful collies. I've had petite collie. I've got my Cromflanders who turn amazingly, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to have Dinky in the future, who's even smaller, 
so I can kind of look at it from loads of different perspectives. Yeah. But I think sometimes people just don't have the perspective of other breeds or fast dogs or slow dogs or because that's um, the other thing I've got the two extremes of the height scale but speed wise yeah makes a big difference where it's cool when I can you know borrow someone else and go oh can I have a run with them because I'm like oh my god they move so freaking quickly what they're doing yeah it's yeah exactly and even like a small but very fast dog will often run the bigger wider lines that a, a collie might run yes so just saying it's oh it's it's small so it, it's going to turn differently is not necessarily the case no because um, physics and velocity and like yeah. all of that stuff comes into play and you're like okay so now the trajectory is not always the same that was the words i was looking for and you have to also consider handler influence too yeah because you know we're not perfect I mean, obviously I am, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, we make mistakes all the time. But like with me having having all the vocal problems this year, like Dodge has suddenly been like, with you saying when you're at big competitions, the dogs can't always hear you because of the crowd. Yeah. Like, I can't even blame the crowd. I just literally, there was just squeaks coming out. And thank God my dog works on whistles because otherwise I would have been screwed. Oh, that's very handy turning in his whistles because Excellent. it makes him listen whereas if i try using a vocal to ter- a verbal to turn him in he's a bit like and we'll t- it's a looser term whereas the whistles get him to go oh yeah. heads turn okay and then the ass follows eventually yeah um, yeah <laughs> there you go that's my little tip for hoopers turning in whistles it helps okay but with you saying like about the kind of the obstacle discrimination but also having a collection cue um i'm assuming that vibe has a okay dude you need to steady up a bit and break before we take this turn cue yeah absolutely so we've got like our power cues which i'm sure you guys will have just get out and hold a line drive straight going yes i've got loose turn cues and i've got my tight turn cues Mm -hmm. some people even have an in-between as well so some people will have very loose They'll have a 90 degree and then I'll have a full like 180 collection. Yeah. I don't add too many verbals to my handling if I can avoid it because I'm used to remembering them all. Yeah, yeah. But even within like my <laughs> even within my wing wrap queue, I will have um I will be able to adjust how much my dog turns um based on how much uh, emphasis or intensity I put on my cue. So if I say my cue with a little bit more intensity, I expect more collection. If it's very soft, relaxed cue, then I'm like, well, it is collection, but you've got a bit of leeway here. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, um, just apologies to the listeners. Um, the postman arrived and Mink saw him before I could hit my mute button. So apologies for the barking. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because like Dodge has, Dodge's barrel cue for him means start slowing down because you're about to turn. Absolutely. Whereas if I just shout go, it means just run past it. <laughs> yeah, run past it, ignore it. Keep going, just carry on. Whereas I I have, and actually I was course, um, the course I was, won the course last weekend when I was competing. As I was course walking, I turned around and went, this is going to be loud. <laughs> because I was like, the only way I'm going to get him, to, there was a barrel turn, there was a hoop directly ahead of him and he had to turn 90 degrees on the barrel to come down to a tunnel. But there was a hoop right in front of him. And I was like, 
oh, I'm going to have to holler for this. And mm. we did it, but I'm not going to lie. It was very loud because we were, um, it was an indoor venue um, and it's not a huge venue. So mm. the acoustics in there are amazing. So yeah. my full volume turn, I think they probably heard it in most of the county to be fair. <laughs> the car boot sale in the field over the road definitely heard it. Excellent. Well, did it work? Mate, we, we did it, yeah. Yeah, he got his tunnel. Yeah. We did it lovely. Um, yeah, no, he, he was really good boy at that shot. She it was interesting. The busier it got, the last run, it had started to get busy. I'd started to get a bit more. Oh, there's more people, and he was like, Oh, there's more people. And actually, halfway through the run, he came to mummy and went, Mummy, there's too many people. And I was like, That's okay, that's cool. Hectic. We will never get to crafts. <laughs> that's fine. But that's cool. Do you do at Crafts now? No, not yet. Um, the Kennel Club have not got hold of the sport yet. Ah, uh, okay. There is um, it's it's a bone of contention for many people. Um, there are lots of people going yay, and there's lots of people going no, and then I'm not gonna like I'm in the middle going. I can see both sides, and I'm slightly indifferent to be honest. Yeah, um, the swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Yeah, I feel having a more kind of universal rule book would not be a bad thing, but there's still going to be independent competition. There's still other organisations and everyone is still going to have their own rule book. Oh, I just have to know the different rules for where I'm competing and what I'm doing. And yeah, but um, I've, I've made the decision for this year for me and Dodge. um, We're only competing on basis hoops now. So that's, just what I want to do with my dog. Um, I feel it's safe of him with his hips and stuff. But the the goal for me would be everything is baseless in the future. But like with agility, I mean, you know, you used to have those horrible shoot tunnels, and do they still have the wishing well jump? It's. I think it's still legal, but you just never see have it. Have you ever it's seen one in the wild? Yeah, I've trained on one. Oh wow. Trained on one, so training venue that I um I actually worked from, they got one because it was still a, a legal piece of equipment. We were often seeing them at like random but important events. So one year they were put it was put into the Olympia semifinals or yeah, ABC. It was the Olympia ABC semifinals. It was the year I qualified. Um and so many dogs just got to it and went, What the hell yeah. is this? And just stopped uh, and wouldn't take it or it caused faults or refusals and luckily Tavy just sailed straight through it okay. but um it it was definitely popping up I but I haven't seen it for years now okay legal. I mean I would literally have to check the rules because I would never even think to put it in the course um therefore I don't know if it's still still legal or not I feel like I might have missed a rule change what, what was the other thing that I remember like when many moons ago when I first started dog training we did kind of fun oh a pause table Oh, I'm pretty sure that's gone now because we didn't have a way in the day. Now we're in the days of electronic timing and, uh, you know, classes are won or lost on thousands of seconds. Yeah. You don't have a way of electronically timing the table. You can't, you can't use it. You can't say, oh, the judge will count to five. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't you count can't. Mississippis. This is not a Mississippi situation. Exactly <laughs> that. Like, you there's just no way of precisely timing it. That would um, make sense. So that has 
it just literally faded out of use. I think they still use it um, in America quite a lot. Okay. Um, but, I mean, maybe someone's created a, an electronic timing pad for the top of it or something, I don't know. Maybe it beeps um, when the dog can go off. It's just a bit of a boring piece of equipment, isn't it? Right. Also, um, the wall, I seem to see a different style of wall from what we used to see. Yeah, we've got soft walls appearing a lot more now, which is amazing. And Same also, is the long jump soft now as well? Yeah, long jumps. Not all equipment providers are providing soft. Um, so, obviously, our lovely... Um, Sam Hatcher with Indigo Equipment Hire, I think. I yeah, we will give Sam a shout out for having Ooh. amazing equipment. Sam Paul, absolute legends. Yeah. Um, but they're really trying to bring out the best equipment and make it available to all these shows. So um, I'm judging champion um, June, and I know that there are equipment suppliers. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll put a wall in, I'll put a long jump in. Um, obviously, I have to put a long jump and tire in for, for champ. But, um, you know, I'm not worried about using a wall um, because they're soft. They're made of foam and PVC covering. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the only issues I think at the moment that we're still sort of they're teething issues is when we're dealing with outside weather conditions. Uh-huh. And it's very windy. Maybe well, they're we, not. We have that as well when the barrels are trying to blow across the field and you're like, I just got that barrel in the right place for God's sake. Yeah. But you know what? I had this years ago. Um, it can't be that long ago, actually, because I was running Vibe. Um, a few years ago with the metal wall blowing over. It was made of like metal, aluminium. Because it's, it's a solid object. Yeah. It's solid. And people were standing in the ring. They had two people standing in the ring holding the wall up. And then as each dog started, as they came round onto the obstacle floor, the people would jump out of the way. Oh, my it was ridiculous. Goodness. And um, it happened to me that literally as they jumped out of the way, the wind blew, it collapsed away from Vibe. And I pulled him up. I was like, I'm not letting him jump onto metal bricks on the other side of the wall. And they were like, carry on. I was like, no, <laughs> that is not safe. No. But, you know, at least now the soft wall, if that did happen and the dogs land on it, it's not going to cause the same sort of injury. It's going to be like them landing on a sofa cushion, right? Because it's yeah. pretty much no, similar. It's not ideal. But it's a lot safer. Oh, yeah, of um, course. And ultimately, if you have to take the wall out and change it for a jump, then that's what you do. Yeah. So, um, and really, in hindsight, I'm sure that champ judge wishes that he'd just stopped the class, changed the course a little bit and restarted without the ball. But unfortunately, once you start, it's very hard to be like, oh, let's stop it and restart and rerun everyone. Well, especially if you're like, you know, 10 dogs in or whatever, it's like, oh. 10 dogs in, not so bad. Once you're sort of 30 dogs in. I was going to say, once you've hit like 50 more. dogs, you're like, ah, oh, nuts. Yeah, yeah. So it's not ideal. Um, and obviously that's something that I might consider. Like if, if during course walk, things were already starting to blow over, I might be thinking about changing changing the course Yeah. Um, before you start. I've taken a seat of, out before. Cause it was I was going to say, do you have like a little kind of, plan in your head that what happens if I do need to take what why would you need to seesaw out just out of interest so the wind was hitting it in a certain direction so it was getting underneath it so it was um, lifting the end that was on the ground so dogs were coming up to it and as they were about to get onto it it would lift off the floor so then of course as they step onto it not only do they now have to jump onto it because it's raised but, but then the, it goes down the end that should have been stable bangs down it's happened to Jackie before um, she's not a massive fan of the seesaw anyway, 
And as she got onto it, it banged down. She was like, that should not happen. It's not meant yeah. to bang till the other end. And she bailed out the side. She was like, that's not normal. Um, yeah. Didn't get a rerun. It was in teams. Cost me a clear. Uh, but... No, but that, yeah, but that, I no, I would be pissed off by that because I'd be like, hang on a minute, my dog just like got elevated and then pushed on the floor. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah, exactly. And again, the, the large dogs don't tend to notice it as much because they're traveling so much faster. But, um, her Royal Highness Princess Chica rests her little paws. Her seesaw was fabulous, but she was almost on the second contact before it would even start to tip because she yeah. was so tiny. Really normal for little dogs. You would have to like sashay oh. log and then stop and almost like ride the tip. <laughs> and then it would hit the floor and then she'd get off it. Like <laughs> And seesaw is a bit of a controversial piece of equipment in agility anyway, because it's the thing that's most inconsistent for different heights and sizes of dogs. Yes. So if your dog weighs three kilos, then they've got a massive disadvantage to something in the same height category that might weigh eight kilos. Oh, massively. Like a yes, small, yes, yes. A small um, spaniel might still be quite hefty. They can be quite solid. Yeah. Um, but versus a toy poodle that is all fluff and matchsticks. Yeah. Like <laughs> cotton wool and matchsticks. Yeah, no, um, that's true, actually. I hadn't thought of that because I guess with, again, with the bigger dogs, they're going to be sort of around a similar weight. But when you're talking about, like, the smalls and the micros, there can be a huge weight difference between them. Yeah. And then it comes down to, it doesn't matter how well you've trained your dog. You can train them to run as fast as physically possible. But if they're light, that piece of equipment takes longer. I train... I train um, uh, Maltese in Hoopers, but I know she does agility as well. Um, shout out to Mina and Lily because they're a wicked team. Um, Lily will run like 10, 12 meter space courses. Like I can stick out a big European Hoopers course mm -hmm. and she will be like giving Dodge a run for his money. And she's oh, cool. all 1.5 kilos. Oh my God, so tiny. her, like on that seesaw compared to even a dog that's five kilos. That's yeah. a huge difference. I hadn't even thought of that. That's very interesting. It's a real bone of contention for a lot of small dog handlers, like the mm. tiny, tiny, tiny dogs, because they just say, it's like, how can it be fair when it's based on their weight? They can't change that. So. I mean, what are you meant to do? Like dip your dog in water before they go for their runs? Like. Exactly. It's really, it's really difficult. So I don't know whether, and especially when also some of the seesaws that we're seeing are really inconsistent in their tipping point and how they move. Like there's certain different manufacturers. Certain types of equipment I won't put my dogs on because they're not stable or secure enough. Seesaws tip at different points and um, or they are, are more wobbly and and it just can knock confidence so much. I know a lot of people with small dogs are very careful what equipment suppliers they run their dogs on. Yeah. Because it's quite damaging to their performance if something doesn't move in the way they're expecting. Yeah. So, but, yeah, it, no, I can understand that the seesaw is, it, it, in a way, it's the scariest bit, really. But people look at you, oh, look, it's so cool. And you're like, yeah, but, I mean, would it make a massive difference to a course if you took a seesaw out of it? Meh, it's always my favourite thing to leave out. On a training day, I'll often put in dog walk and um an and A-frame, but I'll try and avoid the seesaw if I can. I don't love them. I don't like teaching them very much. I don't like having to judge them very much because they're difficult judging calls to make sometimes. Yeah. If dogs are starting to leave them a bit early, you have to make that split-second decision of was 
the dog's still in contact with it as it hit the ground. And sometimes it is literally hundredths of a second difference as to whether they left early or not. Yeah. So they're really hard um, to judge. I think they're probably the most controversial thing to judge. Um, yeah. I don't really like training them. And I always feel sorry for the little dogs when I watch them. I just think it's so much harder for you guys. And I do think, as you say, they're the most scary piece of equipment. Yes. So dogs that struggle with confidence, dogs that are a bit sensitive, um, or dogs that are a bit sound sensitive, so the banging of the seesaw too, it's probably the the scariest thing that they can learn. I think weaves yeah. are probably the hardest, although <laughs> actually a lot of people will say running dog walk. I don't think so. I love training running dog walk, but um, I think the weaves are probably one of the most technically technically difficult i think um, physicality needed for the dogs for waves is yeah. definitely it's something the they don't do in day-to-day life they don't move like that any other time no it is a bit weird and that's where i think like i watched the little dogs do it and they're doing their little like side prances i'm like oh my god and then i watched like the really large dogs doing waves and i'm like their spine's not meant to turn like that yeah, exactly and that when they one foot and all their weight goes through that one shoulder for a moment each time. So that's, yeah, they're, they're physically difficult, but I think the seesaw is the scariest. And yes. They're two yeah, of no, the hardest that. pieces of equipment to train, I think. Yeah, no, that makes sense, definitely. So good luck with all of your judging this year and obviously all your competing um very exciting um i'm looking forward to watching that little that little poodle's journey yeah we're gonna have some fun yeah we definitely are well we our paths were meant to cross at easter and the blooming weather scuppered everything ruined it all rubbish um Honestly, I've never been so disappointed that a show was cancelled as Easter because there was so, it was just going to be such a wicked show and so much fun. And then, yeah. like, the team at Kaluki fought so bloody hard to keep it going. I and I felt so sorry for them. Yeah. They really it was just, wanted it to go ahead. Yeah, it was rubbish because we were planning on doing a live recording in person. It would probably have ended up being like an eight hour, 12 part episode. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We've just done a tour of the showground while we're doing it. But we would have had, I reckon we would have had loads of random people coming in, like joining in for a quick stint as well. Like it would have just been carnage. We could have been around and interview people and had a right laugh. Next year. Next year. Let's plan it next year. Next time, next time there's a big show on, we will, we'll get it sorted and we will come and. Maybe when you're an agility judge and you're judging at more shows. Oh, okay. She's putting the gauntlet out. We'll we'll see. I'm definitely it's something that I would like to kind of do more of. I kind of think that my brain is going, but should I be judging something if I'm not competing at it yet? Well, there is that. Um, there's a lot of people that do judge agility that don't compete in it. So okay. it's not it's not unheard of. Um, and at least you are in dog sports, you understand lines, um, you understand course design as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're already further advanced in your ability to judge and design courses than a lot of people are. So um, we will say, yeah, there is definitely an argument for should should it be a requirement of a judge that you're competing. But equally, there's plenty of people that are competing that are not very um experience as a judge and there's a lot of people that aren't competing that could be very good as judges so you know you judge hoopers you teach hoopers you do hoopers 
yeah. and there is a big crossover between hoopers and agility. So um, yeah. I think you should give it a go. Okay. We will say. I'm, I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no. I'm saying it's a baby. We'll see, we'll see. I'll keep we'll working. See. We'll see what the, how the, where the year takes me and what happens, but it's definitely something that I will be, I'll certainly be paying more attention to what's going on in the agility rings rather than just going, oh, bloody agility people while I go and do my thing. <laughs> what do you mean bloody agility people? How rude. I mean, <laughs> I just, I'll be right, really honest. One thing I am seeing is that I feel that, I bet hoop agility people will be like, oh my god, the hoops people are so dramatic and like I feel like the hoop strings a little bit more laid back, but also I feel like people are just giving each other's dogs a bit more room. People are just a bit more mindful in the cues and stuff from what I you see. That's just but... because it's not as busy. Like when you've got millions of dogs and lots of rings all squashed together, maybe your hooper shows you just don't have many rings together. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It, it might because... be that, but also, I mean, I would deliberately, like, if I knew there was going to be a big, big, massive show, I would be judging rather than competing because I know for him, that's not the environment he needs to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that might be it as well, because I have a reactive dog bias. Yeah. Because it is, um, because I, I notice a lot, people that don't have reactive dogs or have never had a reactive dog seem to just be oblivious. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> like, that seems to be a thing. Um, also, it fascinates me how many, um, I'm going to, a little bit of collie bashing, sorry, um, but how many people that are attached to collies seem either completely unaware or don't care at the fact their dog is really eyeballing all the other dogs. Yeah. Eyeballing or lunging every time a dog runs past them. Yeah. Mad. Like, I, yeah. I'm like, do, do you want to try and interrupt that? Or like, no, okay, cool. No. <laughs> it's just... And because their dog's often not the one that starts things, so I that's why when I when yeah. I go bloody agility people, that's why. That's why. Okay. That's why. Very colleagues. Because I think that uh, that the skills oh, you guys need to teach your dog to do the sport and all those elements involved, especially agility. Not like oh, there was a big rap of thunder at my house. I don't know if the listeners heard that. Both my dogs just went. What was that? No. Oh, that was bizarre. Um, it's right. Thunderstorms still get me a little bit because I'm used really? to being on high alert, and now I'm not on high alert because there's no dog that's scared of thunder now. So thunders, thunders gets me in the feels a bit. But I've I've got an emotional condition, emotional response to it. Back to agility. All the different elements that you guys have to train, from the weaves to the dog walk to even just the different ways of going over a jump. Yeah, jump skills. Like, hats off massively. But I do wish that the agility people would see the skills that are required for hoopers when you're not just running around with your dog. 100%. Yeah, I think I think if people actually stop to think about it, they would understand there's a, lots, of, lots of skills. Because we have to train those skills as well, but a lot of people are not very good at training the skills that are required for hoopers. Mm -hmm. That's often where pe agility people struggle. So yeah. um, actually, I think if, if they stop to think about it, they'd understand that those skills are just as valid and quite difficult to do sometimes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think hopefully we'll start to see more and more overlap between hoopers and agility. As yeah. People understand the value yes. of hooper skills in agility. 
Yes, definitely. And then you might see more agility dogs coming over to hoopers as well when they realise that actually they've already trained hooper skills for agility and then they can enjoy both sports. Yeah, exactly. And then there's even more ribbons to be won, which is great. (laughs) Not what it's about. No, but you can't tell me it's not nice to get a ribbon at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, I'd just settle for a clear round. feel like I'm not completely incompetent. (laughs) I like the goal. So to be fair, the goal always with Dodge, as much as, you know, I I love winning prizes, but the goal with Dodge always starts is, did anyone die? (laughs) And if they didn't, it was a good day. That's my base level. Did anyone die? Did he kick off for anyone? If neither of those things happen, then the day has been a good day. And if we get prizes, it makes it even better. <laughs> but, but we all take the best dog home. Absolutely. Always. A thousand percent. Right. Yeah. Becky, if people want to find you, learn more about what you're doing. Um, oh, it's the, the judges line thing that you did with. Doug. Love the lines. Yes. Is um, that available anywhere yet? I mean, no. <laughs> Rubbish. I know. We had loads of techno- te- technological issues. Oh, I nearly got stuck there. Technology, Technology issues are always the worst. They're- yeah. Yes. We wanted, we videoed the last one. Yeah. Um, but the sound was really not good enough. I don't think, I don't know if it was the sound or if it was, I think it was the actual visual. So okay. actually, yeah, that was it. It was, you couldn't really see the slides on the video. Uh-huh. So you can hear the audio, but you can't see the slides. So um, someone suggested um, overlaying the audio onto the slideshow. But yep. you, you're looking at five agility trainers. We are not savvy on how to do that. So someone has offered to help us with it, but um, actually taking the the videos and transferring them to someone, they're way too large a file. It's like an hour to an hour and a half of, a video um yeah. you can't transfer them on things like we transfer or whatever people use these days i don't know yeah dropbox or whatever it is you fangled um, you got them both right it's either dropbox woo-hoo. or look at you knowing how to do the transfer i mean i don't know how to do them i just know the, you know the of the things yeah exactly Love it. um but uh, we are trying to work on these just we're all crazy busy you know we we squeezed in days where we could do it but we've just yeah. just to sit down like I would have to sit down for an hour and a half and do a voiceover on my presentation. And it's just time because it's all unpaid, just time that I really can't afford to to spend at the moment. I've got, yeah, no, I, get that. Would, I had lots of things I needed to talk through for Love the Line. So it would, I'd probably sit there for half a day and do it. But um, it's, it's really hard as well to talk through a presentation when you're not talking to anyone. Uh-huh. Don't get any of the crowd interaction. You're, you're talking to the person that does online courses. Yes, I'm aware of this. Oh, it's it's really awful. Hard. I don't do online courses because I find it really uncomfortable to just talk at a camera. It's really hard. It's really it's awful. Really hard. I hate it. Um, so there's loads of stuff we want to do for Love the Lines. It is in the pipeline. It's just finding time. We're all really busy people. Of course, yeah. I promise we, it is coming. My book okay, is Okay, well we we will keep we well. will keep our eyes and ears peeled and if it happens I'll add it to the show notes when it happens. That would be very cool. Um right, so yeah, if people want to train with you, find you, stalk your courses. <laughs> uh they can find me on Facebook. I took a little Facebook break recently because I just needed a little bit of quiet time. Is that good for your brain? Facebook. 
So, but I am back on, I haven't posted anything for two weeks, but I'm back on Facebook. My profile is reactivated. So you can find me on Facebook. Um, I have a business page, hardly ever use it because I'm useless on technology. I'm useless at self-promotion, um, but occasionally- That's you... why you come on my podcast. I'm helping you with your promotion. Yeah. I mean, people just get bored of listening to me talk, don't they? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I had you back for a second. Hey, Claire, that was on the last episode, done three seasons now. So like, Yay. you're still a season behind. You're fine. Oh, well, got to play catch up then. Right, exactly that. You've got to talk about the sports puppy. Raising yes. a sports puppy. I knew when you said that is what you wanted to talk about. I was like, we have not got time for that as well. <laughs> no, we'll we will get you back on to talk sport puppies. Um, and we will definitely have a good old conflab about that. So, yeah. guys, as always, if you want to follow me on the socials at Canine Hoopers World at Dodge Shepherd on the Insta, and stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock, and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. I just wanted to ask you a real quick favor. If you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, it's going to help other people find me and listen to what I'm doing here at Canine Hoopers World. We're now on all the socials. So we have the Instagram, we have the Facebook, and we are officially on the TikTok at Canine Hoopers World. And remember to check out our website, www.k9peoplesworld.com, where you can find out information on in-person courses, online courses. And if you're doing hoopers with your dog, you can also join in with our online achievement awards. These are open to any person, any dog, anywhere in the world to come and test your skills and get yourself a cool ribbon.